Hi, welcome to the Myths and History of Ancient Greece. Chapter 9, Voyage of the Argo. In the next two chapters, we will tell the heroic story of Jason and the Argonauts, who travelled far across the sea to fetch the Golden Fleece. Before we begin the tale of the quest, though, we should find out what the Golden Fleece was and how it came to be where it was. The king of Orchomenos was a man called Athamas. He married and had two children, called Phrixos and Hela. But sadly his first wife died, and he decided to marry again. His second wife was called Ino, and she was the jealous type. She was the very jealous type. She was particularly jealous of her stepchildren, and she plotted to get rid of them. First, she persuaded the women of Boeotia to spoil the grain that was sown, so the following year nothing grew and there was a shortage of food. She knew that Athamas would consult the oracle, and sure enough he sent messages to the oracle at Delphi to find out what to do. Unfortunately for everyone, Ino had bribed the messages, so they would return and give Athamas the message she wanted him to hear. They told the king he had to sacrifice his son Phrixos to Zeus. Reluctantly, Athamas preferred the sacrifice, but just as he was about to kill his son, a wondrous ram appeared. It was sent by Hermes and could talk and fly. Its fleece, of course, was made of beautifully spun gold. The ram commanded both Phrixos and Hela to climb on its back and then flew off, carrying them to safety. Phrixos held on tight, but Hela did not hold on tight enough. As they were flying over the small stretch of water that separates Europe from Asia, Hela fell off the back of the ram and drowned in the sea below. To this day, the sea which she fell into is known as Hellas Sea, or the Hellespont. Phrixos continued to hold on to the ram until he reached the kingdom of Colchis, at the eastern end of the Black Sea, which was the edge of the known world. The king, Aetes, son of the sun god Helios, welcomed the young man and married him to one of his daughters. Phrixos sacrificed the ram to the gods in gratitude for being rescued. The ram was placed in the skies by Zeus as the constellation Ares, and the golden fleece was placed in a sacred grove, sacred to Ares, where it was guarded by a dragon, which never slept. Many, many years later, in the kingdom of Iolcos, there sat on the throne a king called Peleus. As we have heard in chapter 6, Peleus had taken the throne, even though the rightful heir was a man called Ison. Ison had a son, called Jason, who he sent away to be raised by Chiron the centaur. Peleus had been the king for a good few years, when he was given a prediction by an oracle. A man wearing one sandal would cause his death. Little did he know, the son of Ison was about to come back and ruin everything for him. The gods meddled to make the prediction come true. Jason had grown into a strong man and decided to return to Iolcos. As he was travelling back he had to cross a muddy river, and waiting by the banks of a river was a tired-looking, very old woman. The poor woman wanted to cross the river and asked each passer-by for help, but nobody would aid her. Nobody, that is, except Jason, who picked up the old woman and carried her across the river. He found that for a small wizened old woman she was surprisingly heavy. Even though he was a strong man, he staggered under the weight and lost one of his sandals in the muddy water. This may seem like a huge coincidence, but it wasn't. The old woman was not an old woman at all, but the goddess Hera in disguise. Hera hated Peleus because he didn't worship her properly. She was Peleus's enemy, and she became Jason's protector. Jason reached Iolcos and was seen by Peleus. 
Jason didn't recognise the king, and so did not know he was the man who had sent him and his father away. The king saw that the young man had on only one sandal, and was very afraid. He approached Jason. "'What would you do, stranger?' he said, "'if you learned that one of your fellow citizens was destined to kill you?' "'Well,' said Jason, "'I would send him to fetch the golden fleece from Colchis.' Peleus smiled and revealed who he was. He told Jason that Iolcos would never prosper until the Golden Fleece was taken from Colchis and brought back to his kingdom. He said he would give up being king if the Fleece was brought to Iolcos and whoever brought it to him would become king. Jason was in a bit of a pickle. The kingdom rightfully belonged to him anyway, so he could just demand that Peleus resigned there and then. On the other hand, he didn't want to be king of a kingdom which would never prosper, so he decided he had no choice but to accept the quest. If he was going to do it, though, he was going to do it properly. He would need an awful lot of help, so he sent messages to every kingdom in Greece calling for the greatest of the heroes to volunteer to join him. Jason was not disappointed. From all over Greece came men who wanted to go on this dangerous voyage. It was said that there were fifty of them, and we will not try to name them all. We will, though, name quite a few. There was the greatest hero of them all, Heracles, and his servant and friend Hylas. There were the Dioscori, Castor and Polydeuces. There were the two winged sons of the north wind Boreas, who were called Callias and Zetes. There was Orpheus, the world's greatest musician, and Euphemos, who could run so fast he could run across the sea without even getting his feet wet. There was Ancaios, who was so strong that he rode alongside Heracles. There was Typhus, who was an expert sailor and became helmsman of the ship. There was Mopsos, who could understand the language of animals, and his brother Idmon, who was coming on the voyage, even though he had seen his future and knew that he would die. There was Arcastos, son of Peleus, and there were many, many more. Last but not least, there was Argos from Thespia. He was a shipbuilder, and with the help of Athena, he built a fifty-oared ship for the quest. Jason was delighted, and he named it after the builder. The ship would be known as the Argo and the heroes on the quest for the Golden Fleece would be known as the Argonauts. On the bow, the front of the ship, was a magical plank of wood which could talk. The ship was magnificent, and its crew was magnificent. If any crew stood a chance of surviving the journey and succeeding in the impossible quest, it was this crew. The voyage began. The ship set sail, and Jason plotted a course for the island of Lemnos, which would be the first stopping point on the long journey to Colchis. When they landed on Lemnos, though, the Argonauts realised this wasn't going to be a nice easy trip to Colchis. No, many things were going to stand in their way. They met their first challenge on Lemnos. The first challenge, though, was not of the fighty type. The men of Lemnos had not been particularly nice. They treated their wives and the other women on the island like slaves. They were always off travelling and having parties and finding other girlfriends. The women of Lemnos decided there was only one thing they could do, and so they murdered every man on the island except the king, and he was set adrift on the sea in a chest. There were no men at all on Lemnos. When the Argo arrived, the women of Lemnos dressed in their husband's armour and pretended to charge to the attack, hoping to scare the questers away. One of the Argonauts, called Echion, had the gift of being able to speak beautifully and cleverly on any subject, and he spoke to the women and convinced them the Argonauts had come in peace and just needed food and shelter for the night. The leader of the Lemnians, Hypsipyle, agreed and let the Argonauts come ashore. Heracles was left on board to watch over the ship. Now, 
The island of Lemnos had no men on it, and this was going to lead to a bit of a problem in a few years' time. No men equals no children equals no people at all once all of the women had died. The women looked at the Argonauts and realised there were fifty young men who would make great new husbands, so they set about persuading them to stay. The women of Lemnos were beautiful and kind, and many of the Argonauts decided staying on the island seemed like a lovely idea. The quest for the Golden Fleece looked like it was over before it had really begun. And over it may well have been, if it hadn't been for Heracles, who marched off the ship and, very large club in hand, forcibly marched the Argonauts back onto it. The Argo sailed away from Lemnos. The Argo passed through the Hellespont. Their next stop was on the southern shores of the Propontis, where they were welcomed by the Doliones and their king, Kizikos. They helped the Doliones rid their land of horrible six-handed rock-throwing giants. Having rested and eaten, they set sail once more. Now, though, storms rose up and the sea was rough and treacherous. The north-easterly wind was so strong that it blew the Argo right back to the Doliones. The weather was terrible and it was dark. The people could not see that it was the Argo that was returning. They thought they were under attack from an enemy and they charged. The Argonauts fought back and being great heroes and all that, they won the battle. Jason, without knowing it, killed King Kizikos. When the day broke, everyone realised the terrible mistake. The Doliones and the Argonauts held a three-day funeral for the king. The weather did not improve, and the Argonauts couldn't set sail. They were beginning to get a bit tired of sitting around when a bird flew onto the ship and perched on the prow. It twittered away, and Mopsos listened. When the bird had stopped twittering, Mopsos turned to Jason. "'We must sacrifice to the goddess Rhea,' he said. "'She caused the storms and guided us to kill Kizikos. "'She is also not very happy that we have just killed those giants "'as they were her brothers.' The Argonauts carried out their instructions, and the weather calmed. They set sail once more. It was a very long way to the next port, so the Argonauts decided to have some fun. They held a competition to see who could row the hardest for the longest time. The great heroes rowed and rowed and rowed and rowed some more, until some of them began to get tired. Orpheus played wonderful tunes on his lyre and urged them on, but one by one they began to stop. Some were so exhausted they fell asleep at their oars. After many hours there were just four left. Only Jason, Heracles, Castor and Polydeuces still had the strength to row. Castor, though, was obviously near the end of his strength. Polydeuces looked over at his brother and realised he would row until it killed him and he begged Castor to stop. Castor, though, would not stop and so Polydeuces did the only thing he could think of to save his brother. He pretended he couldn't row any more, even though he had plenty of strength left. When Castor saw that his twin was not going to row, he too finally gave up. Just Jason and Heracles were left. But not for long. Jason was so exhausted that he fainted, and it looked like Heracles was going to win. At the moment Jason fainted, though, Heracles' oar snapped. The greatest of the heroes was unable to row without an oar, and so the contest was over. It was clear that even though his oar was broken... Heracles had won. The very tired Argonauts dropped anchor at the mouth of the river Chios, and Heracles, who had been very fond of his oar, wandered off to find a tree with which to make a new one. His friend Hylas also set out to fetch water from a nearby pool. Heracles found the perfect tree and dragged it back to the river bank, where he began to carve it into an oar. Pretty soon he noticed that Hylas had not returned and went off in search. Hylas, though, would not be found. 
He had reached the pool of Pegae and leaned over to pull some water from it. The nymphs who lived in the pool looked up at the young man and fell in love with him. One of the nymphs, Dryope, pulled Hylas into the pool and he was unable to get out. As he fell, he cried for help. The only member of the crew who heard was Polyphemus. He met Heracles, who was hunting for his friend, shouting, Hylas! Hylas! Alas, said Polyphemus, I heard Hylas shouting for help and ran to towards his voice, but all I found was this empty water bucket lying by the pool. Heracles and Polyphemus searched all day and all night and forced the local people to do the same, but there was no sign of Hylas. When morning came, they had not returned to the Argo. Jason and the crew shouted out for the two heroes, but they didn't return. The wind was getting up and sailing conditions were perfect, so, very reluctantly, Jason gave the order to sail without them. The Argonauts were horrified. They were not going to leave without the greatest hero on the voyage, and they refused to go. They even accused Jason of wanting to abandon Heracles because he had beaten him in the rowing contest. Kylas and Zetes, though, spoke to their comrades and eventually persuaded them the decision was right, and the ship sailed off. Heracles eventually went home, but only after making the local people promise to keep searching for Hylas. On and on the Argo travelled, urged on by the sea god Glaucos. The Argonauts, who had not wanted to go without Heracles, felt better when they heard the god bidding them to sail on. Pretty soon they arrived in the land of the Bebrycians, which was ruled over by Amycos. Amycos was a son of Poseidon and was a very violent man. Whenever travellers arrived in his kingdom, he challenged them to a boxing match. This was no nice ordinary boxing match with fifteen rounds of referee and doctors, though. Oh no, this was a fight to the death. Whenever Amycos won, which he always did because he was enormous and very strong, he had the loser killed. If anyone refused to fight, he decided this was the same as if he had won, and he had them killed anyway. When the Argonauts arrived, he issued his usual challenge. The Argonauts looked around at each other to see who would take up the challenge. After all, Heracles was no longer with them. Not surprisingly, up stepped Polydeuces, the immortal twin. I will face you, he said. The fight began and it was savage. The two men were very different and fought in different ways. Amicos was huge and fought with brute strength. Polydeuces was smaller and older, but he was skilful and cunning. He dodged the heavy blows of the king and hit him hard and often, quickly working out where his weak points were. The king's nose began to bleed, and he roared and prepared for a final savage assault on the son of Zeus. Amicos stretched back and prepared his mightiest punch. He swung his powerful arm, but Polydeuces jumped aside and dodged the blow. Then, quick as lightning, he struck Amicos with all his strength just above the king's ear. The bones in Amicos's head splintered, and he fell down dead. The Argonauts cheered and cheered, but the Bebrycians attacked. They were, of course, no match for Jason and his crew, and were easily beaten. The Argonauts stocked up with food and treasure and left. Just to make Poseidon feel better about the death of his son, Jason sacrificed twenty bulls to the great god of the sea. The Argonauts were now well on their way to Colchis, and next landed in Thrace, in the kingdom of Salmidesos. The king of Salmidesos was a wise man called Phineas, who had been given the ability to see into the future by Apollo. He had, however, used his gift too well, and had let people know more about the future than the gods wanted him to. Zeus had punished the poor man by blinding him and never letting him have a good meal. This Zeus did in a particularly nasty way. 
Whenever Phineas had a nice meal laid out ready for him, he would be attacked by two harpies. The horrible winged monsters swooped down and snatched the food from the table. Phineas was slowly starving. The Argonauts agreed to help the poor old king. A great meal was prepared and put on the table and the crew waited. They didn't have long to wait. The harpies, screeching a terrible screech, dived down onto the food, at which point Callice and Zetes, who could fly, swung their swords and chased the awful creatures off into the sky. Far away the two men chased the harpies, and they finally caught them. They were about to kill them, but the goddess Iris persuaded them to let the harpies live if they never bothered Phineas again. It was agreed, and the harpies kept their word. Phineas was free. The old king was incredibly grateful, and told them what they must expect from the rest of their journey to Colchis. He told them they must sail between the crashing rocks at the northern end of the Bosphorus, guarding the entrance to the Black Sea. These rocks were not fixed, but moved about in the sea, crashing together to smash ships to smithereens. No ship had ever navigated them successfully. But Phineas told Jason how they could do it. He then said, And when you reach Colchis, trust in Aphrodite. Jason had no idea what he meant, and he just hoped he'd be able to work it out when he got there. The ship sailed again and was soon in the Bosphorus. The sea was calm and the rocks looked like normal rocks, but Jason knew that as soon as they tried to sail between them, they would crash together. Jason did as Phineas had said. He sent out a dove, which flew between the rocks, which crashed together, nipping off its tail feathers. As they sprang back, the Argonauts rode with all their strength and raced between the rocks. However, they were not through when the rocks began to crash again. Typhus urged them on and they rode even harder. The rocks began to close and it looked like they wouldn't make it, but Athena gave them a last push. They made it through just as the noise of the crash was heard. The crashing rocks had failed for the first time, and from that day on they remained fixed. Never again was a ship crushed. The Argonauts were through, and the way was clear for them to get to Colchis. There were just two more stops to make. They docked at the city of Mariandine, and were welcomed by King Lycos, who was an enemy of the king killed in the boxing match by Polydeuces. He was very happy to see the killer. There was much merriment and feasting, but sadness came to the Argonauts in the city. Their helmsman, Typhus, died of a fever, and Idmon, who had known that he would die on the quest, was killed by a giant white-tusked boar. There were three days of mourning before the Argo set sail for Colchis. Lycos's son, Duskylos, joined the crew. The last stop for the Argo before the final leg of the journey was at the island of Ares. Phineas has told them that they must stop there, and so they did. They had to drive away a huge flock of vicious birds before they could land, but soon they were ashore. On the island, they discovered four men clinging to a ship which had been wrecked on the beach. These four men were the sons of Phrixos, the man who had flown on the golden ram to Colchis. They had been trying to sail back to Greece when they were shipwrecked. They joined the crew of the Argo, which at last sailed for Colchis. Soon the Caucasus Mountains came into view, and they arrived at the mouth of the Phasis River. Jason called together his men, and they prayed to the gods. Then, using the knowledge of the sons of Phrixus, they sailed up the river and dropped anchor outside Aya, the capital city of Colchis. Next week, we will finish the story of Jason and the Argonauts, and see what happens when they go to the Grove of the Golden Fleece. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.